one of the times that we were on 2020, uh, I remember he was, he was asking, like, essentially, like, how do you do it? And I said, like any good Texan would say, I said, well, you put your big girl panties on and you just do it. And he said, did you really just say that? Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. So the latest edition of Here's What We Know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm bringing on one of my very good friends and someone I work with, one of my partners, if you will, because, you know, as we do this, as we do this podcast, I love hearing interesting stories. I think everybody has an amazing story, but we all just don't think it because it's our story. And I forgot what an amazing story my friend has. This is Chrissy Bernal. Do you say it Bernal or Bernal? Bernal. Bernal. Because you know how here in, in uh, California, we have a Bernal Road. Yes, yes. So you have to say Bernal, but where, you know, you go to a different place and it all changes. Yes. So every- Well, it's it's uh, originally, at least our usage of Bernal is originally French. And then my husband's uh, grand, uh, relative supposedly um, went from, uh, gosh, where did they go? They, they, persecuted, they were getting persecuted. Sorry, I'm babbling here because I can't remember the story. Um, but they ended up fleeing to Spain. And that's where I guess it went to Bernal. And then they came here from Spain. Wow. Do you still have an affinity for paella? <laughs> I do love some paella. I wish I could cook it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love paella so much. And you know what? My wife, not so much. Oh, really? Yeah. It's one of the contentions of our marriage. Well, you know, I didn't really like spicy food, though, until I married him. And now it's like, can't get it hot enough. (laughs) Well, that works on so many levels. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the thing. You can go to her website at uh, ChrissyBernal.com because you've just had this amazing story. And that's what I reminded myself. I follow you on Instagram. And oh, by the way, I think... You've not been to all 48 states out of the two truths. <laughs> you got it right. Yeah. I? Because, because one of them was I've been known to carry a low, a meatloaf in my, in my purse. And I'm like, nobody would make that up. <laughs> yep. That's true. When I was competing, I would carry meatloaf in my purse because it smelled better than tuna. And I would just take it out of the baggie and start eating it in the car. Cause it was all about the protein. Yes. Okay, because I did not know that about you until recently. I had, <laughs> I had no idea because Chrissy has been, you've had been on Anderson's Cooper's show. You've been on a number of, uh, of, of national media things. And we're going to talk about why. But first, let's go into your, let's go into your pre-fame life. <laughs> right? I mean, you were a competitive, what do they call it? It's, 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 it's. I was a competitive physique person. So a physique competitor, really. So not bodybuilder. Right. I didn't, I didn't have to get to where I looked like a man and no offense to female bodybuilders out there. Cause there are some that are spectacular, but that's the way that most people identify the, the cutoff there. Well, it makes sense whether everybody's going to be offended or not. It makes sense. Uh, you yeah. know, and physique sounds like a we all get behind that. We can all understand that concept, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and growing up, I never wanted to be in a bikini and really didn't even like to be on the pool in general. Um, because I was just didn't like my body. I was so self-conscious. And so then when I started working at a gym, I was like, you know what? I want to see how far I can push myself. And, uh, what's the best way to do that is go ahead and sign up for a competition. So you don't have a choice. <laughs> How do you get there? Because I've said this before. I, I, I try to exercise. I have young kids. So I'm trying to stay alive, right? So <laughs> I'm not worried about the size 28 waist. That, that ship has sailed. <laughs> but, but for me, it's just trying to stay alive and stay strong enough and healthy enough to play with my kids and goof off with them. Right. But exercise itself is pure drudgery. I, I, <laughs> I distract myself. It's one of the reasons I like running because I can listen to an audio book. 
And it right. distracts me from the horror of what I'm doing. <laughs> right? See, I've always loved to run. I started running competitively in seventh grade. Uh, I mean, when I was seven, actually. Um, and my, my papa and I, which, you know, is Southern for grandpa, uh, my papa and I would um, run in 5Ks and whatnot and little competitions that we would do together. And so I've always loved to run and then uh, played volleyball all through uh, school and college and just loved everything athletic. I used to actually run four miles a day just for fun. Wow. <laughs> You're a sick kid is what you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I used it as like my um, kind of meditation and prayer time. And so it was, you know, a good little chunk of time that I could use just where just looking at the pavement. Well, that leads me to a different question because I mean, I, I would have run. I've always been able to be able to run, but I have genetically not trying to be funny here. I have genetically fat thighs, right? <laughs> so when I would run, I would end up covered in blood because my <laughs> thighs would rub together. And when they finally came out with compression shorts, mm. the game changed because even though I'm a big guy, I have stamina. I've always been able to run. Even when I started running, I think my first run was like three miles. And then just, oh, you know, good. at my, at, at my height, I was running between 10 and 12 miles. That's amazing. Three and four days a week. Right. That's amazing. So I was running. So I've always been able to run, which is, you know, and now as I get older, the miles are going down <laughs> and I still have to distract myself, but it leads me back to this question. As we talk about you competing in the physique co competition, if you were running from seven years old, I would assume that you never had a weight problem. Right. No, I never did. Um, I just was very self-conscious. I did have a, a large rear end for my size. So uh, I would get teased about that. And then well, that would be the Spanish thing. J-Lo turned that into a billion dollars. Well, I know. I mean, I I myself am not Spanish, but for some reason, I, I got the booty, and uh, and so I was real self conscious about it. And I don't know, you know, I just as kids, we're all so you know so insecure about stuff. So regimentation and discipline falls into your wheel space. Yes, I I love checklists. I love spreadsheets. I love all things organized, and I love uh, you know the. The regimens, like you said, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm a, one of those creatives who's a nerd at the same time. I hope your husband is not. I hope he is all over the map because I am, right? And my <laughs> wife is just like you. My wife is, you know, she wants everything in order and it works perfectly because we balance each other out. Is he is he all over the map or is he like you? Click, 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 um, click. Well, I'm, I'm getting him there. You know, it's taking me over 20 years, but um, <laughs> I'm getting him there. But, you know, he grew up very, very poor. Mm -hmm. And so he likes to hold on to things. And our refrigerator always has to be jam-packed with food. And our pantry has to be jam-packed with food. And, and I think that all comes back to him having grown up so incredibly poor. See, we have that in common, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up incredibly poor and, and, but I've like kind of learned, I do like to have food in the, the house, not the European model where you shop each day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the European thing where you shop each day and you have some of the stuff in and then, eh, but no, I want to make sure that I have, you know, if it's Wednesday, I want to make sure I have Saturday's meal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ready. So now he, He's getting to where he likes spreadsheets. I mean, I, I have gotten him to sort of use our uh, project management, you know, the base camp that we use. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten him to somewhat use that because I do use base camp for home projects as well. And I'll assign him tasks on there. <laughs> because Chrissy and I work together. We're going to go down that. As you can tell, we have, we have meetings each month. And they're kind of like this. I distract her because I go all over the place. I'll start talking <laughs> about something and then we'll go, oh, no, no. And then I'll go on this and tell a tangent and tell a story. Uh, and, and she's constantly trying to go, okay, and we're going to talk about this now, right? We're going to talk about the things we're actually having a meeting on, right? Well, you know, I, I, feel, I feel like all of us have those squirrel moments. And uh, Joey, you know, my husband, he has them bad. He's, he really does get distracted easily. And we were at an appointment where the behavioral analyst was giving us her, her findings from Sienna, the, which I know we'll talk about mm -hmm. later, which is our special needs daughter. She was giving us the rundown of what she thought. And I am not kidding you. As the diagnostician was giving us the rundown, Joey just blurts out, Oh, I like your watch. 
And I was like, squirrel, babe, squirrel. <laughs> you know what? What's funny is because when my uh, my my son Jackson was born, right? He was born dead. He was. I mean, oh, I, that's right. I yeah. walked into the room when they're doing CPR on him, and they wow. ended up in and uh, taking him to uh, Stanford, and he was in the NICU, and you know the whole thing. Well, my wife at the time, she just became because she's the detail person. She's all about yeah. the details. She became. I am going to produce milk for this child, and that's all I'm going to do. And yeah. I turned into the detail person. I was there oh, wow. during the doc because they let you there when the doctors come in and you right. can talk to the doctors and they have the whole team because it's the learning hospital. And I would just get, okay, I'd be there asking questions. What does this mean? Okay. If we're blood is we're if we're at this, if oxygenation is at this level, where does this go? Does this have anything to do with that? And I would sit back and when they were done, I would sit back and I'd say, okay, here's what we know. And I'm going to bring it down to you to understand that this is yeah. everything I need to know, but we completely change roles. Oh, that's, that's once, cool. Once he was out of danger and once he turned into a baby, <laughs> <laughs> right back. It was all gone, but I was able to get super focused for that time I needed to be. That's awesome. You know? That's awesome. But it's, it's kind of funny how the good Lord, you know, he gives you those little things when you need them. It's like adrenaline. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, same thing. People ask me all the time how I dealt with Sienna and Sierra's early years being so young. And, you know, I said, I think as humans, you just step up. You know, God just goes, and uh, I've given you the situation. Here's the ability to handle it and go. (laughs) This is what you're going to learn from it. And this is where you're going. This is what you're going to teach people, whether you are aware of it or or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's where if uh, you'll see Chrissy's face on the podcast, the episode, and you'll go, I've seen that that lady before. <laughs> I, I promise you, the first time we had a meeting, we had a meeting. It was me and her and Brian and my wife. And I got off the phone. With, you know, we got off the meeting and I told my wife and I'm like, I swear to God, I've seen her, honey. I don't know where I've seen her, but I swear I have seen her somewhere. And she's like, does she live in California? I'm like, no, no, she doesn't. I don't. I've never met her. I just I've seen her. And that's where we get into the interesting story of. You became famous, and and I want to talk about how you guard your privacy on that, too. I know that was a topic that that you mm-hmm. also explored. But you became famous for something that you never wanted to become famous for. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it was when the girls were about 10 years old. I do have identical twins. And uh, so this was... 12 years ago. I'm horrible at math, so don't make me do math. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so when they were 10, they were thrust into the global spotlight um, after a local reporter here in Houston. I I don't know how he knew this, but he emailed me and said, I want to do an an interview on your twins because they're very rare. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And so it turns out uh, they are the, if not the only set, they're one of the well, I, I think they're the only set of females, but maybe the only set in general of twins where one has primordial dwarfism and the other does not. And um, so Sienna, the little one, is five foot, I mean, four foot four. And then Sierra, the big one, is five foot seven. And uh, I, I'm always glad they have really good self, you know, self-esteem because, uh, you know, we're always constantly saying the big one, the little one. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and funny enough, so, the, you know, their name's Sierra and Sienna, which has bitten us many times now, like at the pharmacy and whatnot, because it gets confusing. But um, Kurt Warner, the football player. Yeah. He has twins as well, also named Sierra and Sienna, but his are younger. So I did it first. <laughs> <laughs> so can you explain primordial primordial dwarfism and what are the situations that she is dealing with? Yeah. So when she was a year or I guess, yeah, about a year old, she was still only about eight pounds. At a year old. Yes. And even until she was about 25 pounds until she turned uh, 13. And so wait, wait, she, wait, 25 pounds till, as till a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. She was really little. And honestly, it was, um, it was pretty hard in their first few years. I mean, she stayed in the hospital for 108 days the first time. And then subsequently we had three to six weeks here and there for several years. Um, but 
it was, she was a pound and seven ounces when she was born. And I'm not going to lie. And I've told her this, that I threw up the first time I saw her because it was so scary. <laughs> and and uh, so I know it makes me, it made me feel like a horrible mom that I threw up when I saw my child, but. <laughs> well, no, it's, I mean, it's the fear, right? It's, it's the absolute fear. Cause I remember, you know, I, I remember seeing my son dead, right? And I, and I, mm-hmm. I remember it. And I remember when they come in and the doctor came in cause they, they didn't know how much brain damage he was going to have. How much brain damage they, they were pretty sure he was going to have brain damage, but we didn't know wow. much. And I told, I told them, I wanted to tell the doctor when I got there, cause I was the first one there cause they transferred him to a different hospital. And I told him, I said, I don't care if he's got an IQ of one or 400, just give me a boy I can take home. <laughs> that, that's, that's, yep, exactly. That's all I need. And, and when they came ahead. back and told us that there was no brain damage, my family was celebrating and I was just sitting there going, <laughs> And my wife told me later, she goes, why, what was going on? She goes, babe. And I told him, I said, babe, I saw him dead. My expectations were so much lower than yours. Yeah. That anything that he wasn't dead on, I was all in. And this, the rest of this stuff, (laughs) yay, yay. But he's here and he's breathing and he's not going anywhere and I'm good. I'm totally good. So I get that fear thing. Yeah. yeah, especially because you have it. I have it. I'm sorry to dominate this, but you and I have, yeah. we have different things, right? That I remember not being scared when he was born because I did not know him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know him. And so there was, you know, if he goes, I am, but I don't know him. I, yeah. I, will, I will mourn his potential, but I don't, you know, it's now that I get scared to death because yeah. I know him. Now's right. the time I want to throw up. Where you, <laughs> you, the fear is, look at what's happening to this child. Look at how many things can happen. And that was where the fear, now you get to laugh and go, woohoo, look what I got. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know, um, we already knew that she was going to have some issues uh, because in utero, they discovered one, that she was so small and much smaller than her twin. And then two, that uh, she was missing parts of her brain. So they knew she was missing the genesis of the corpus callosum, which is the thing that separates the two hemispheres. Mm-hmm. And then she has another uh, diagnosis called Dandy Walker, which is also a really rare brain abnormality. So she's missing portions of her brain from that aspect. Um, Dandy Walker manifests in many different ways for people, but for her, she's missing part of her part of her brain. Um, and so they told me that if she even made it past the first 24 hours, that she would most likely be in a vegetative state most of her life. And, you know, I just said, well, that's, it is what it is. Let's, let's hope for the best and see what God can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's a spitfire. I said, yeah, I can look at the things you post and, and, and I know you hearing you talked about the stories and the things you're getting rid though and her jewelry and all of this stuff. She is, <laughs> she's just so much fun because as you told me there's no filter on her. Oh no. And you know, she just came back from, from special needs camp and it's an amazing camp, but, but it's, it, you know, it is Christian based. So I was like, Oh gosh, you know, what's her filter going to say? Because, <laughs> you know, she's around her, her brother is a former Marine who, you know, has a potty mouth and, uh, you know, it's just a rough household sometimes. And, um, so yeah, she told me that there were a couple of the other counselors there who were about to turn 21 and, you know, she's 23. Well, she said, well, let me know and I'll go take it to a bar. I know some good ones. I was like, Oh my gosh, Sienna, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, What's her attitude? Does she have a, does she have a comprehension of what her status is? She does. She is very much aware that she's stuck in between two worlds because she is not in the, you know, vegetative special needs world. And so she knows what she's missing. Like when her twin, you know, went to prom, she knew that she was missing prom. She knows that she's not driving a car. So she knows everything that she's missing out on. So she tries to gain control of what she can, which is why she started her jewelry business um, so that she could have something of her own that she got to have control over. And I tell you, she has blossomed 
since that, just seeing the sense of pride in that ownership and autonomy that she has been able to gain from it um, has been just amazing. And, you know, yeah, she's she's slow, uh, slower in learning things, you know, and her reading level is still a lot lower than, you know, the average person, but she can read and that's a, an amazing thing. And, um, you know, physical stuff is really where a lot of her limitations come. You know, she can't reach things or if it's even within reach, maybe it's too heavy um, or like opening cans. You can't open those because she's just not strong enough and, you know, those sorts of things. But you, you manage and she does a pretty good job. Um, she can't do laundry, though, because she falls in the washing machine. We learned that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that. Yeah. She, uh, honey, I mean, I, I caught her one day and her legs were just. <laughs> I'll tell my wife, babe, you know, I fell in the washing machine the other day and I was like, it's a good idea if I do that anymore. <laughs> But you know what I love about her is that she a lot of her things kind of present somewhat autistic. So she does a lot of things like an autistic person would do. And she loves her routine, which, you know, of course, makes me happy. (laughs) See, the good Lord knew what he's doing. Yep, yep. And you know what the crazy thing about it, speaking of, you know, he knew what he was doing. So, you know, she has primordial dwarfism, which there are fewer than 200 people in the entire world with that diagnosis. Wow. Or diagnosis. Eight and, people in the world, and there's less yeah, than 200. And fewer than 200. And the crazy thing about it is when we finally got the diagnosis, which was when she was six, um, the... I was, of course, Googling like everybody does when they get something. And I remember I was in my office and I remember hearing the leave, the living room TV. And I was like, gosh, that voice sounds familiar. And I ran out there and I said, that sounds like Kevin from school. There was a, a person who had dwarfism that I grew up with in school. It wasn't his voice, but it was his sister's voice who also has dwarfism. Turns out it was primordial dwarfism. I mean, what are the odds? I mean, there you can actually calculate them, but what are the odds that I grew up from kindergarten to, I think they left in about junior high with someone who had primordial dwarfism. And I remember just all the teasing he would get and whatnot. And so God, I guess, prepared me for that from the beginning. It was it's, really cool. It's statistically impossible. Yeah, statistically. it was impossible crazy so god had this whole thing orchestrated from the beginning and you know i used to lead the special needs uh worship at church as well so i feel like god put that on my heart then because he knew hey you're gonna have to do this every day (laughs) well the question also because you know when you have a situation like that uh, there's there's some different there's some different stories that I want to see. First of all, your other daughter, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because because she, I, I wonder if there was a survivor guilt mm. that she's had to deal with that, you Possibly. know, because she's lovely and she's beautiful and she's talented. And hey, if you want to stick one of her songs in, in here, do it. <laughs> so let's play one okay. of her songs. So we're going to play you one of her songs when we take the commercial break. And then you'll come back because you should hear you hear the song. I, first of all, how has she adjusted? Sure. It was actually really tough for her in the beginning, which I think helped her be so independent because she is one heck of an independent 23 year old and which I I know I was at that age too. So I'm sure she got some of that from me, but I think her own lived experience of having to um, overcome that. And there's other things that I know she's had to overcome, um, which this is going down a little bit of a tangent. I've never publicly talked about this, but there was a domestic abuse situation in the past, not from my current husband, but um, so I, I know that she, has had to deal with some of that. She remembers things very, very vividly. And, um, and so I think a lot of the time that we had to spend with Sienna made her have to spend it by herself and figure out, okay, how am I going to, uh, entertain myself? So (laughs) she was constantly entertaining herself. And, you know, I think that's just why she's such a strong person. And she's always really looked out for Sienna as well. And, you know, she has had to get in some physical altercations because Sienna was being bullied. And so, you know, she's going to stick up for her twin, of course. It's just, it never, I never get over the fact that we all grew up with it, right? We all grew up and got past it. But especially, I never stood bullying someone that you know, obviously, is dealing with issues. 
right? It's yeah, one thing yeah. for you to be a jerk to, you know, the people who bullied me, oh, what the hell, right? I mean, I could stand up for myself and there was nothing really bad in my life, right? right. So you were having to try to find things you could bully me for. And as I've told my sons, listen, the people in the long run who end up suffering from bullying is the bully themselves. Because as they grow up and figure out what it is they've done, you live your life in regret and you will, you will either act it out or you will find God or you will go down dark, dark roads. Right. And so I always sit back, but I've never been able to understand the mindset of a child that would do that. And, and you wonder again, me being judgy, (laughs) where's the parents in the, are in these situations? Right, right. You know, but I think having been on this side of things, it has made me a more empathetic person. Not that I wasn't empathetic before, but I think I lived, uh, you know, I lived in your pretty, um, you know, stereotypical home. My dad went to work. My mom stayed at home. You know, I got to do all the sports, you know, so I acknowledge that I lived a pretty comfortable upbringing. Um, and so I guess. I never, I probably wouldn't be the same person I am today who is such a proponent for people being just, you know, going for their potential and for being just overall good people and making the world a better place. I may not be that person if all this hadn't happened. I probably could just be, I'm sure I'd been a nice person still, but probably just a boring regular person. We are, we're going to explore that in the second half of this, of this podcast because she's got an amazing business and you like to, you want to help everybody, but you have a special place in your heart for women, right? Yes. And women entrepreneurs. Yes. And we're going to go down that road. <clears throat> but I did want to just take a couple other things as we, we're going to play Sierra's song here in just a minute. <clears throat> Pardon me on that. But let's talk about your son. How did he deal with that? Because he's completely removed from that right. scenario. I mean, you know, Sierra is, is always, tangent she's always connected with sienna and those two but the the person you know i've had friends who've had twins and that older or younger brother it's always kind your sisters (laughs) they're always not in that same group yeah It, it, it is different and you know with us being a blended family um he did live with us most of his upbringing and um at the beginning you know he was they would fight like, you know, normal siblings would fight. Um, but now he, now that he's an adult, I mean, he's already thinking about, you know, who's going to take care of Sienna if Joey and I pass and I've got to set this up in case, you know, so he's really, he's like stepped it up a notch and he's really thinking like a big brother. And, um, you know, he's of course like most big guys, cause he's, you know, over six feet tall and big old burly former Marine, of course. And so, but he's a real softy inside. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. And so, you know, he'll send her texts and, and things that are really cute. So. Well, that's, that's the way most brothers end up being. Yeah. I've got four sisters. Yeah, that's, I, that's don't get, right. Don't get me started. I gave up a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I think having a special needs sister has helped him as well because I I know that he can't stand bullying either and he has stood up for kids who are getting bullied and um you know so I I think that has helped shape him as well. Yeah, it's it's a journey we're all on and and that's what I said when yeah. we started off. You don't know what you're going to learn and you don't know what you're going to teach. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I don't, this just popped in my brain for some reason, but one of the things that that I remember when the girls were uh, about a year and a half. So at a year and a half, Sierra was your pretty standard size one and a half year old. And Sienna, you know, was still about 10, 10 pounds or so, 10 or 12 pounds. And I remember a woman accusing me, we were in a hotel and she told me that she was going to call CPS on me for starving my child. And just having to be in that situation and defend myself and, you know, tell this woman she has no idea what she's talking about um, was pretty frustrating. Did she ever apologize? Um, She did, but, you know, it's, it's like maybe she'll learn to not jump to assumptions from now on. I, I, oh, man, that that would be the thing to me. And again, go back to bullying. You know, her telling of that tale, which I'm sure she never tells, (laughs) right? right? but her telling of that tale is different, you know, where yours, you, you get to be indignant, 
her telling of that tale in her own mind for the rest of her life is shame. I, well, I hope so. Or hopefully she's not, not living with the shame, but hopefully she overcame it and became a better person. Well, it's, it's those things. We've all had that moment. We've said something we shouldn't, right? Yeah, of I've course. Been, I've been on stage and, I, you know, I said something about a pregnant lady and I looked over and her oh, husband's no. off stage going, oh, and I'm like, what are you um, going to do? And that happened 20-something years ago, and I still cringe when I tell that story. Right? That's hilarious. You know, so one of the times that we were on 2020, uh, I remember he was, he was asking, like, essentially, like, how do you do it? And I said, like any good Texan would say, I said, well, you put your big girl panties on and you just do it. And he said, did you really just say that? <laughs> do you remember said, who the reporter yes. was? Uh, I don't remember what. I said, do you remember who the reporter was? Oh, yes. I can't remember his name, um, which I'm still friends with the producer now. She and I have become good friends, but um, I don't remember his name. But if I saw him, of course, I would remember. I don't know. And I don't think they aired that part. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's how anybody gets through anything, right? Right. Just do it. Because you can't give up. What does giving up do you? Right. Right. it, It makes it worse. It makes it worse for everybody involved. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I've always been a real big problem solver. So I think that's the way I've looked at a lot of these things too, is, okay, how can we solve this problem? And, you know, I've always just been a real big advocate and I definitely did not take no for an answer (laughs) if the doctor didn't want to push on something. (laughs) Well, we are going to come back and we're going to go into this problem solver aspect because that's what she does for a living. That's what she does for me. (laughs) <laughs> right, she solves all my problems, or at least exp- lets me makes me helps me think about what I'm not thinking about, and I think that's and, and so I wanted to share this journey with you guys because my brain has turned around so many different ways in the last year, year and a half, mm-hmm. than from where I was thinking and how I was thinking and how I approached it. And Christy's part of that process. So what we're going to do is take a quick break. Should we play the song now from from Sierra? <laughs> do we want to play it toward the end? And whenever you want, it's fine. Yeah, why, don't, why don't we save it toward the end? Because I want to come back and get you guys back into, but stick around because she's really talented. So when she's in Nashville, Ryle, right? She's about to be. She's about to be in Nashville. And so she's starting her journey. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to play that. I'll say that for you, but we'll take a quick break. Why? Because when I do these podcasts, Chrissy always tells me, you need to take a break so we can insert the spots. So we're going to take a quick break right now and be back with my friend, Chrissy Bernal. So I want to tell you about our new sponsor, The Gym Guys. I have been working out with them for over a year now. It all started with a pandemic and there was no place to go. The gyms were closed, all that kind of stuff. I found The Gym Guys because they come to you. The commute is theirs. Isn't that one of the worst parts working out is you have to factor in the commute time? Not with the gym guys. And it's more motivating. It's one thing to say, I'm going to work out today. It's another thing if you know, like, I have Luciana coming over today at 11.15. I got to be ready for it. And then they change the workouts up for you. They give you an app. So when you're working out on your own, you know how to do it right and what you're trying to do. And they also give you access to a nutritionist. It's all there for you. You can take it as, you know, if you're just starting your journey or maybe you want to take your journey to the next level. Maybe we've got a contest on how you can win 100 free sessions with your friends and coworkers. It's at TheBiggestMover.com, TheBiggestMover.com. But you'll find the gym guys on the web, G-Y-M-G-U-Y-Z. Okay, so let's talk about what you're doing. Now, now that I've covered a lot of your fascinating history, because you have and still the physique bodybuilder contestant who had meatloaf in her purse. <laughs> I don't get to say that about everybody. Uh, <laughs> well, and remember, I used to sleep eat too. So during my competitions, I, you know, you cut down when you're trying to like right before the competition, because you're trying to get as lean as possible. And I was, of course, not eating carbs or anything uh, aside from vegetables. And I wasn't losing the weight like I should. And I was getting so frustrated and I would tell, tell, telling Joey, Oh my God, why am I not losing weight? And he said, babe, if you'd stop eating chips at two in the morning, you'd probably lose weight. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, babe, you've been going in there every day and eating chips at two or three in the morning. And I'm like, I am completely not aware of this. <laughs> you realize that's when your body goes, I'm not going to let you starve me. I am so hungry that I will take over your subconscious and you will feed yourself. 
Because yep, and I, I'm sure he's right. And he swears this happened, but I, I do not recall it at all. But he swears that he brought home, you know, if you go to Costco, those big things of Danishes. Yeah. He brought that home and he was divvying them out to the kids. And he said that he put one on the plate for him. And he said that I just dead straight and looked him in the eyes and said, if you eat that, I'm going to kill you. And he slowly put it back in the plate, <laughs> back in the pan. <laughs> Again, I don't recall that, but he swears it happened. Again, the sacrifices that they make. I, I, I remember listening to Carrot Top on Joe Rogan. Remember Carrot Top, the comedian? Do you have, do you have, yeah. any, okay. And he got really big, you know, yeah. b- bodybuilder and he was on Rogan and, and he was like, he's like a lot smaller. And Rogan goes, what happened? He goes, I got tired of feeling horrible. <laughs> he goes, the, the big secret behind bodybuilding and weight you know, physique and stuff like that is you exercise to the point of pain. He goes, I lived on Advil and painkiller because my, <laughs> my joints were always, because your body's not meant to push up 300 pounds, 10 times, three times. Right. right? And so, and he goes, and, uh, and he goes, and the diet literally drives you crazy after a while. Yeah. And it was the old, it's the old, uh, Mel Gibson back in his heyday. Mel Gibson used to put out three movies a year. Why? Because he would do them back to back to back because that's as long as he could maintain the Mel Gibson shape that moviegoers expected. Right? That makes sense. And, and, and you see a lot of these, I think a lot of the, the psycho, you know, the, the mental issues that, that I saw a lot of these stars go through is the expectation and, and frankly, being so hungry. I mean, didn't you remember well, that whole thing that you would see them out at a, an appearance and all they would have is these big jugs of water? Right? <laughs> yeah. And you know as well as I'm not telling you anything, you're trying to fool your body into being full. So constantly. Well, you know, that's the way our thinking was then. Now we've gotten a lot smarter. So I still have a lot of friends in the industry and I still work out pretty regularly. So I've got friends who are, you know, doing all the competition stuff and whatnot. Um, we've gotten a lot smarter now, you know, we've got our macros and, and there are ways that you can still not be hungry and, and eat well, but it takes a lot of work and dedication or money sometimes because you got to buy somebody who, who can, or buy it from somebody who can put it together for you. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's, it's the, what are you, what are your values? Right. What are, what are you, what is it you value? Uh, and, and if you value that, if you want to have a certain waist size or look a certain way, and that's not a criticism, then you have to sit back and go, well, I'm willing to work out six days a week for an hour, hour and a half at a pop. And I'm willing to make sure I don't go over 2,200 calories, you know, and frankly, not my values. (laughs) But I've learned to live with that. Do I love every picture that we put a, put on Instagram? No. No. But I also know that I'm just not going to go there. How often, speaking of that, let's go down there just one more time. How often do you work out a week? Um, it depends on my schedule, but at least three to four. And if it's not at the gym, it's here at home, usually on a treadmill or something. You still go to the gym? Again, I do like treadmill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the gym. I love lifting weights. See, I hate it. I hate it. I'm battling tennis elbow right now because I, I just hate it. You know, the idea, this, this motion right here, let me show you. I'm picking up a water bottle. It's like, ah, you know, it's just, it, it's no, I, I do love running. So I, I well, that's it. And, and we'll go from there. I, I think that's fascinating, but let's to the next thing you're doing. And again, if you go to christybernal.com, the reason I got hooked up with you is my buddy, Brian, sat back and said, you need somebody who will help you focus and put everything together. And I know somebody, and her name is Chris. <laughs> and explain what it is you do. Sure. Well, you know, my, the girls actually helped shape my career because it was when they were thrust into that global spotlight that I I looked at it and thought, oh, my gosh, we need to build personal brands for them so that they can use this later on and we can harness any publicity because not everybody gets this opportunity to go on, you know, German television, French television, you know, be seen in Australia and, and all this. And, and when the girls were younger, I actually had had the wherewithal to buy their domain names when they were, I, I guess, three or four. I don't know why, but I just did. And, um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to build a brand. So. I just learned to do it on the fly. And, you know, I took my formal education with, I did go to school for mass communications and journalism. 
And so I, I did get some, some of that training there, but then just learned and made a lot of mistakes and, <laughs> and, uh, figured it, figured it out. And so now that's what I help people do is not make all those mistakes and get the clarity right off the bat. <laughs> well, and you, as, as I pointed out earlier, you have a, you have an affinity for women because of your story. I mean, you, we talked about, we, we touched on the domestic abuse and we've touched about, you know, being a mother with these, with this situation that you had and having to, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine having kids and having a home life that's just. I definitely don't yeah. have a normal, normal home life at all. But, you know, I am particularly um, keen on helping women because uh-huh. I remember after I came out of that abusive situation, my confidence was just shot. And, you know, if people, there are many people who don't even know that about me. So somebody from high school who doesn't know that part of my life would say, there's no way Chrissy didn't have confidence because I was a really confident kid growing up mm-hmm. and um, wouldn't, wouldn't mind debating either. So, I mean, I was very, very confident. And so when that happened, I had just zero self-worth. I did not, um, and I think because I went straight from having to focus on helping Sienna uh, stay alive, essentially, and helping Sierra and whatnot. I don't think I had a chance to get back to myself and focus on getting that self-worth back. And it took me a long time and a lot of coaches, a lot of therapy, a lot of mentors. Um, and, you know, our mutual friend, Brian, he and his wife, they've been a big part of that, of, of my journey as well, in just helping me do that. And so I want other women to embrace their worth and confidently pursue the success they desire because there's no reason why not, you know? And you can have kids and do it all. It totally can happen. <laughs> well, that's the hard part, right? The hard part is to set yourself down and go, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to create from there and I'm going to put in the time and the effort and, and resources. And, and, and you have to have enough belief in yourself to go, this is where, you know, she has a sign behind you because it's a podcast you can't see, but a sign that's always behind Chrissy. And she knows it. She says, she knows it by heart. It says, let your faith be bigger than your fear. Right. And, yep. and that also not only faith in, because you and I are Christians, not also faith in God, but faith in yourself. Absolutely. Because, you know, God made us in his image. And so he's not going to make a, a crappy human being. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're totally competent of fulfilling our, our destiny or whatever you want to call it, our purpose. Um, and, you know, I feel like anytime God gives someone a desire to do something, he's going to give them the resources and the ability to do it. And so I think we just get in our own way a lot of times. And, <laughs> And so that's what I, you know, I, I hope that I can help other women do, you know, people in general, but, you know, like I said, specifically women, because I feel like society, you know, the society um, aspects of it often treat women differently than, than men. And, you know, not to approach that from a victim standpoint, because it's very much not the approach I like to take, but um, I'm happy to see all the changes that we're starting to see with women standing up for themselves and saying, no, I'm going to have a seat at that table. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> And I think what you, cause I can, you know, I can do a testimonial for Chrissy. I think, I think what you've always helped me do is focus because my problem is, and I hate to use the word creative or anything like that because I think, you know, I think people who can paint and sing and stuff like that, but whatever it is, it, it's hard for me to know, you know, plans like you and my wife, you know, I, 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 okay, we need to do this and then we need to do that. And I love that. I love to somebody go, we need to do this. We need to do that. Because when I see the world, I see that all over the place. And I'm, I'm trying to grab because when I'm doing a show, when I'm, that's how I've asked people before, people go, how can you say things? How, where did that come from? And I'm like, I have a mental picture in my mind of a cabinet and I'm opening the cabinet. And I see that line right there. I'll take that line. Right. Which yeah. is fine when you're trying to just make a mishmash stew. But if you're trying to make a cake, yeah. it needs to yeah, be now that's science. It's baking is science. Oh yeah. 100%. And I I cook. You help me bake. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's funny. and funny enough, I don't like cake. My mom was a, a professional cake baker growing up, and so I smelled cake constantly. And so now, even to this day, I don't like cake. 
I don't even know how we're friends. <laughs> I'm not even sure I can explain why that is even happening. I love cake and my son's a baker. My, oh, my nice. oldest started baking when he's, I'm not kidding you. He was eight, nine years old. He started baking cookies and then he awesome. wanted to bake a cake. And so all of our birthdays, Luke bakes you a cake. That's amazing. And he makes it from scratch. He makes the icing from scratch. There's no cake mixes in our house. That's awesome. He makes it all from scratch. And so you might have your next, uh, your next is what, what's up? Cake guy, cake boss. Is that his name? Buddy, the cake boss? Maybe, maybe because he hasn't gotten into the designing things. He just likes to, because he's also, he likes to eat like his dad. <laughs> so he likes the cake to just taste good. He doesn't awesome. need it to look like a cool thing. Right. That's awesome. And so that's, that's fun when it comes to that, you know, and, and getting to that point where, where you're at, you, you're, you're at, your kids are discovering their talents. Sierra right. knows her talents. Sienna has figured out her talent. Right. Yeah. And you know, we actually homeschooled because of both the girls. Um, Sienna, it wasn't a conducive environment for her to learn. And they actually told us that she was going to cap out at a third grade reading level. And this was in eighth grade. And I said, well, that's dumb. Why would you give her a cap already? She's not even in uh, eighth grade yet. I'm like, that's dumb. Or not even in ninth grade. And so we chose to homeschool her. And, you know, obviously she's done much better. She now is at least a sixth grade reading level, maybe maybe even eighth. Um, and then with Sierra, she chose to be homeschooled uh, because of gigs. You know, she's like, I can't go to play till two in the morning and then go to school. And so, yeah, we always tease because uh, our kids' Wi-Fi automatically hook up, hooks up to so many bars around town. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, that makes me feel awesome when my 14-year-old's phone hooks up to the Wi-Fi at the bar because she's sung there before. And the fact that, you know, that you had to at some point in your life sit back and go, look at how many bars I'm closing. And it's not because I'm closing them. I'm here with my daughter. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you would have told me in high school that I was going to be, you know, in the the clubs every weekend and you know being a, a, a show mom, I guess I would have said, yeah, no, I'm going to probably have a regular job. And <laughs> uh, but I tell you, there is no instruction manual, you know, other than the Bible, but no instruction manual for dealing with kids who don't want to take normal paths. <laughs> or aren't going to take normal paths. And it's a challenge. I have to tell you, it's a challenge. Well, because we don't think about that side, yeah. right? We sit back and we see these artists. We see Mick Jagger majored in economics. Now think about <laughs> I that. Know that. Think That's about cool. that. He went to college. His family sent him to college and he majored in economics. And all and of a sudden he goes, moves. hey, I'm going to... I'm going to go with Keith and the boys and play bars, right? <laughs> now, you can look at him as Mick Jagger right now and go, wow, Sir Mick, I can't get no satisfaction. But imagine you're his dad <laughs> back in that, yeah. 1960, right? <laughs> 1960, and you're, you've just, and that's what you're talking about. He's not taking the normal path. Bruce Springsteen didn't take the normal path. You know, a lot yeah. of these big, iconic people, I don't care. You're Tom Cruise. You're going to be a movie star. Dude, you're five, <laughs> three. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so we, we, we see them at the height of their fame and they think, oh man, how cool is that? I always have always thought of the parents, you know, especially as I do this right now and I interview these young stars. Right. And, and, and these, and, and I sit back and go, where were you? How did your parents feel about this? You know, and yeah. some, some of them are like, oh, they were all in and they supported me. And then I've had people like Chris Jansen go, I literally left home the day after graduation. Never looked wow. back, you know, wow. just told my, and he goes, I lived in my car in Nashville. Just, I'm going to go do this and didn't tell my parents and just, this was my life and I'm going to do it. You well, know. you know, it's funny that you say that because um, <laughs> normally I don't engage with people who are kind of trolls on social media, but for some reason, this one guy just irritated me and Sierra posted something about her move to Nashville. And, and I guess because she didn't say that she had a plan in there, the guy said, this was the dumbest advice to give because you have to always have a plan. And I was like, no, you don't. Sometimes taking the first step is the plan and you figure it out along the way as you make mistakes and whatnot. And, and, 
And uh, so, you know, hearing you say that, it's like, yeah, there sometimes you just got to jump and figure it out as you go. When people would come up to me and and Julie, who I do the show with, and she's been on the podcast, everybody knows Julie, and she's been perfecting forever. When they would ask her, what, can I have any advice? She would literally look at him and go, move to Nashville. Go wait <laughs> tables, go find a job, be in Nashville. But, you know, you just have to be in Nashville. That is yeah. step one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep. and for somebody to say you have a plan, dude, it's it's the old art of war thing. Everybody has a plan till the first shot's fired. <laughs> so true. Yeah, and and until you get there, you have no idea our concept of what it's going to be. So Grace Lear, who, you know, for, on American yeah. Idol. So she had the American Idol thing. She's been on the podcast and stuff. She literally up until I think a little over a year ago was working for an insurance company. Yeah. And that's the thing too. People think that all these stars, they, you know, just get famous overnight and there wasn't any hard work or, you know, that they um, just don't have day jobs. And it's like, no, they all have something until they hit the big time because it's just too hard. (laughs) Walker Hayes, again, on the podcast, Costco. Was yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Because he had six kids and he was working at Costco trying to make music yeah. on the weekends and on days off. Right now. You know, and I had no idea how expensive it is to be an artist. You think that, you know, you just put a song out. No, you're talking several thousand dollars to put a song out. And that's just the song. That doesn't include all the practice time, any of the gigs you've, you know, put together and don't get me started on what they pay for gigs because <laughs> <laughs> because it's never enough. Bar, yeah. bar, bars are notorious for that. We'll give you 150 yeah. bucks and three free drinks. Right? Yeah, right. And you're like, and then, you know, Sierra doesn't drink during, you know, during her gigs because she's like, no, I'm working. And so she's like, I don't want your drinks. <laughs> She's like, I can't pay my bills with your drinks. <laughs> exactly right. And that's the hard part of, of, of the music industry. Well, it's truly the hard part of any entertainment industry. There's nobody in the inter- sure. entertainment industry that, you know, I don't care what thing you're doing. If you're, if you're acting, a lot of times you're playing Shakespeare festivals in Duluth, <laughs> right? And, and you're making, I don't know, 100, 120 bucks a week, maybe. And, and it yeah. goes all the way down. You're playing single A ball. Single A ball, you're making 700 bucks a month, you know, baseball, oh, wow. right? Wow. And and they're doing this whole thing. There's a move in, in Major League Baseball that you're getting these kids because they try to find them host homes to live in, right? And mm. then they pay them. So, you know, supposedly you have no, but then they pay them a minimum salary, literally like a thousand, two hundred, maybe fifteen hundred bucks a month. And, wow. and so you're in, you're professional. You know, and again, somebody's <laughs> going to come up and say, well, those numbers are changed, but it's still much less than the major leagues. So that's mm-hmm. why they're going through this. So you're a professional, but you're making very little money. Right. You know? Right. And hopefully that will change. Thankfully, she's a songwriter. And, you know, I know songwriters typically do pretty well. It's a lot easier life. I know <laughs> just being a songwriter than it is being an artist because, uh, you know, we've, met so many songwriters who are not artists and I just marvel at how they get to reap all the rewards, but can go to the grocery store without getting bothered. <laughs> yeah. And they sleep in their bed at night. Yeah. They're not, yeah. they're not doing, you know, I don't think anybody does this anymore, but they used to, you know, I, I recorded an episode with William Lee Golden from uh, the oh, Oak Ridge yeah. Boys so. and he was gone 200 days a year. And he was gone at least 200. So that was 200 gigs a year. So you factor in travel and stuff. And he was home mere weeks a year. Wow. And and that's what happens. People don't think about that side of it. That, you know, yeah, yeah, the songwriters was always Steve Susskind, who's a big songwriter, and he lived here in San Jose. And I'd see him all the time places, right? And I'm like, man, you've got, he goes, I love it. He goes, my idea of Nashville is a check in the mail. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That was, he goes, I go there when I have to, but otherwise it's a check in the mail. So (laughs) that's awesome. And it's the unexpected cost of anything, right? I mean, yeah. 
Yes. Just get, I've, I've, I've been, I've been trying to write a book, right? You know, put things together. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that Chrissy does is try to help you do all these things, like put together a podcast or write a book or do all that stuff. And it's amazing, first of all, how hard it is. <laughs> and second of all, the, the odds are you're not going to get a publishing deal. Maybe you will, but it's still going to be expensive to even self-publish. But if you think it's worth it, then that's where you go. And, and again, it goes back to that. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When it comes to putting out a book, you know, e- even if you do get a traditional publishing deal, um, I've seen them where they're not that great. And, um, you know, you, everybody thinks that they're going to get publicity and marketing and all this stuff with a traditional publisher. Not unless you're Kim Kardashian. If you are not one of the A, you know, one of their A-listers, they they might send out a press release or, you know, d- post a couple things, but they're not going to give much oomph behind it. So you're still going to end up having to do a lot of it on your own. So you might as well self-publish because then you own the rights, you get it done whenever you want, you have control, you know, and, and I'm not knocking publishers. I'm just saying for the average person, it just makes sense to just go ahead and do it yourself. <laughs> and that's what we're talking to is the average person, you know, that, yes. that, that taking, as we said earlier, taking that step, believing in yourself and moving forward. Uh, and, and that's what Chrissy can help you do. She's helped me do it. That's the reason this podcast list you're listening to right now is actually happening. All the other stuff that happens is just because Chrissy <laughs> keeps me as, as my wife likes to say, a mouse on a table. <laughs> That's funny. Because it's like, nope, nope, stop, stop. Okay, quit. Uh, But that back here. And so that's it. All right. We're going to take right now, though, I'm going to go, I'm going to put uh, Sierra's song in right now and we'll come back real quick. But I wanted you to hear, does she go by Sierra Bernal? Yep, sure does. All right. This is Sierra Bernal right here. So there, how proud are you? Oh, I'm very proud. Of course, you know, it was funny whenever um, she, she came down to our room when she was about 11 and uh, she said, I wrote a song and she had her guitar and I was like, oh God, you know, you kind of like, oh, how bad is this going to be? <laughs> and, you know, we'd, not, we'd, we'd heard her sing, but not a ton. And um, so she came and we were like, oh, wow, that didn't suck. That was actually pretty good for an 11 year old. And we're like, well, shoot. <laughs> no. And, you know, the crazy thing about it is at that same time is when the article was written about them, that first article. And in that article, the girls had mentioned how they love to sing and Sierra wanted to learn piano. And so we got a a call from the reporter who said that this really famous vocal coach out here and piano teacher wanted to give the girls lessons for free. And I was like, what? What are the, I mean, look what God just did there. Just put it all together. And uh, so the girls were with him for, I don't know, four years or so. And, you know, so Sierra plays piano because of him and, and they read sheet, sheet music. And so even Sienna, she learned to play a little bit. She's still not you know, her The de- dexterity isn't quite there, but you know, it was good for her brain and for her confidence. I think it's also scary when you, when you worry, you know, when you first see a glimmer of true talent in a child, and your <laughs> child, because you want to sit back and go, well, it's my child, but there's part of you that wants to go. Yeah, but they're really good. Right. But you don't want to like <laughs> yeah, say you know, loud. when she was 10, she did the school um, talent show. And she, I said, what are you going to do? She goes, oh, I'm going to sing. And we're like, okay, well, we knew she liked to sing, but didn't really, had never really heard her. Like I said, she didn't sing a ton. And I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to do Patsy Klein's Walking After Midnight. And I said, oh, okay. Well, do you want me to buy the accompanying tape? She goes, no, I'm going to do it acapella. I was like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, do you need help practicing? She goes, no. I got it. I was like, oh God. So we get to the talent show to record. And and the original recording is hilarious because it is impossible to watch without either having a seizure or throwing up because it's so <laughs> shaky. <laughs> I was so nervous. And so she got up there and sang and everyone fell silent. And the poor thing thought 
afterward that she had sucked because everyone went silent. And I said, no, baby, that's because you were awesome. <laughs> so it was, it was funny, but yeah, she's, she's definitely at home on stage. And uh, so that's, it's been an interesting thing to watch and see her work hard. So my friend, do you realize we've babbled on for an hour just like that? Actually, yeah, I actually an hour. And I knew we would I know. because like I said, I, I, that day we were sitting there talking and you're like, oh yeah, I did this. And I'm like, Hey, I should have you on my podcast. I mean, you, <laughs> you have a story and, and we didn't even touch on protecting your privacy in a public thing. Yeah. So what that means is this is my way of luring you back in to do it again. <laughs> we'll have to do it again. Yep. Yep. Well, you're, you're so good at what you do. And, and honestly, it's fun to be on this side to see you in action. And uh, that was, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah. Because you we're recording did. this on a Google Hangout, so she can see me. We don't put the video out, but she can see me. As I said, I can see her too. So she's watching me make sausage is what she's watching me do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I always tell everybody, if you like, if you like watching sausage, you know, if you like eating sausage, don't watch it being made. And that's the same thing. <laughs> ChrissyBernal.com, C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-B-E-R-N-A-L. It'll all be in the show notes and everything else. Thank you, my dear. Awesome. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This was fun. I look forward to it again. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time. Bye.